Did you know that our first president, George Washington, kept a prayer journal? I didn't know that, but it's true. George Washington compiled a personal book of prayers written in his own handwriting, one for each morning and evening of each day of the week. And his prayers provide a beautiful window into our first president's soul, into his faith and the reason why God used him. This, I want to share with you his prayer for Sunday morning, since we've gathered here on this Sunday morning. There's some people that want to say that our founding fathers weren't really Christians, that they and they try to uh, berate our founding fathers. But you listen to this prayer, and I think that you will decide he was very Christian. Almighty God and most merciful Father, who didst command the children of Israel to offer a daily sacrifice to thee, that thereby they might glorify and praise thee for thy protection both night and day. Receive, O Lord, my morning sacrifice, which I now offer up to thee. I yield thee humble and hearty thanks that thou hast preserved me from the dangers of the night past and brought me to the light of this day and the comfort thereof a day which is consecrated to thine own service and for thine own honor. Let my heart, therefore, gracious God, be so affected with the glory and majesty of it that I may not do mine own works, but wait on thee and discharge those weighty duties thou required of me. And since thou art a God of pure eyes, and will be sanctified in all who draw nearer to thee, who does not regard the sacrifice of fools, nor hear sinners who tread in thy courts. Pardon, I beseech thee, my sins. Remove them from thy presence as far as the east is from the west, and accept me uh, for the merits of thy Son, Jesus Christ." that when I come into thy temple and compass thine altar, my prayer may come before thee as incense as I desire. Thou wouldst hear me calling upon thee in my prayers, so give me peace to hear the calling on me in thy word, that, in, that it may be wisdom, righteousness, reconciliation, and peace to the saving of my soul in the day of the Lord Jesus Christ. Grant that I may hear it with reverence, receive it with meekness, mingle it with faith, and that it may accomplish in me, gracious God, the good work for which thou hast set it. Bless my family, kindred, friends, and country. Be our God and guide us this day and forever for his sake, who lay down in the grave and arose again for us, Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. That is a beautiful model of prayer. We've been talking about 
false teachers and about the fact that we're in the last days and the fact that we can look around and see what's happening in the world today and we can see it confirming this book every time we look at the news. It's all happening. And we there's so many times we want to pray a certain way, but then we also want to make sure that we're praying the way that God wants us to pray. We want to pray his will. We want to pray along with him. We don't want to be praying against him. We are not his enemies. We are his subjects. And so our prayer should be in accord with what he wants us to uh, accomplish and do. And uh, we know that the Lord told us this time would come. We know as we look around that his word is proving itself. Hear these words that we that Paul gave to Timothy. Know this also that in the last days, that's the days right before the Lord comes, grievous times will be at hand for men will be self-lovers, money lovers, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, unyielding, false accusers, without self-control, savage, despisers of good, traitors, reckless, puffed up, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness, but denying the power of it. Even turn away from these, for these are those who creep into houses and lead captive silly women loaded with sins, led away from different kinds of lusts or with different kinds of lusts, ever learning and never able to come to the full knowledge of the truth. So first of all, since we are in these last days, we need to take comfort and have hope because if this part is true, then that means that everything else in this book is true. We can take it and we can run with it. And that includes this promise, which we find in Psalm 91. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. For it is he who delivers you from the snare of the trapper and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his pinions and under his wings you may seek refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and bulwark. You will not be afraid of the terror by night or the arrow that flies by day of the pestilence that stalks in the dark. You could insert COVID-19 there, by the way. Uh, the pestilence that stalks by the dark uh, or, or destruction that lies waste at noon. A thousand may fall at your side and 10,000 at your right hand, but it shall not approach you. You will only look on with your eyes and see the recompense of the wicked. For you have made the Lord 
my refuge, even the Most High, your dwelling place. No evil will befall you, nor will any plague come near your tent. For he will give his angels charge concerning you to guard you in all your ways. They will bear you up in their hands that you do not strike your foot against a stone. You will tread upon the lion and cobra, the young lion and the serpent you will trample down. Because he has loved me, therefore I will deliver him. I will set him securely on high because he has known my name. He will call upon me and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and honor him. With a long life, I will satisfy him and let him see my salvation. That's a promise for all who dwell in the shadow of the Almighty. All of those who acknowledge his presence and uh, his power, his sovereignty, and have given your life to him. Also, this promise is true. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send the Son into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through him. In these words, Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. And then, of course, these words, which we cling to all through our earthly lives. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my father's house, there are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. For I go and prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself that where I am, there you may be also. So whenever you see these things unfolding that look so terrible and so troubling, just as the Bible says that they would come about, we can rest assured that the sovereign, holy, mighty God is still on his throne and his plan is moving inexorably forward. I love that word inexorably. You know what that means? It means you can't stop it. It's going to happen. His plan moves inexorably forward. His word is true. What he's promised comes to pass every day. Not just the bad stuff, the good stuff as well. Verses from two hymns just popped into my mind as I was preparing for this today. The first is verse four of it is well with my soul and Lord haste the day when my faith shall be sight. The clouds be rolled back as a scroll. The trump shall resound and the Lord shall descend. Even so it is well with my soul. The other's the fifth verse of one of my favorite hymns. There's within my heart a melody. Soon he's coming back to welcome me far beyond the starry sky. I shall wing my flight to worlds unknown. 
I shall reign with him on high. That's our conviction. Put to words in a song. We know he's coming soon to welcome us and to uh, draw his church to him and to take us out of it before it gets really bad. So as people of faith, how do we pray when we see all these things happening? How do we pray for those called or how do we pray as those called, kept and sanctified when we see these troubling things going on? As I pondered this this past week, I remembered something that happened to me about 25 years ago. I was just starting in a brand new congregation and there had been a death in the church. One of the backbones of the church, her mama had passed away. The funeral had already been set to take place on the day that I was moving into the, to our new parsonage. And, uh, my associate was going to be actually conducting the service, but they asked for me to at least, uh, read some scripture. And so I had to get dressed just from moving in and unpacking and all. I had to pull out my suit and coat and tie and go over to get, get on over there to the funeral home. And my associate just handed me a slip of paper with what, with the scripture that I was supposed to read. And the scripture that he gave me was Psalm 109. And so I just opened up. I I didn't even have my Bible with me. I had to use a big Bible that the funeral home had there. And I opened it up and I started to read. O God of my praise, do not be silent. For they have opened the wicked, the deceitful mouth against me. They have spoken against me with a lying tongue. They have also surrounded me with words of hatred. As I got to there, I began thinking, why do I suppose, why, why would this woman pick this? And so I thought, it's got to get better further on. Let's see what's going to happen here. So whole congregation out there and fought against me without cause. In return for my love, they act as my accusers. But I am in prayer. Thus they have repaid me evil for good and hatred for my love. And I'm thinking, at the end of this, are they, is she going to just read everybody out of the will? Is that going to be the conclusion of the sermon? Yeah, just, I, you're going on two levels. You know, I'm just reading along here and I've got a whole nother thing going on in the back of my head and waiting for something good to pop up. Appoint a wicked man over him. And let an accuser stand at his right hand. When he is judged, let him come forth guilty. And let his prayer become sin. Wow. And uh, let his days be few. Let another take his office. Let his children be fatherless and his wife a widow. And, you know, I just kept, and I, I finally, I just, it just kept getting worse and worse. And just, it was like a curse on, 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 on people. And, and so finally, toward the end, I found a place with my mouth. I will give thanks abundantly to the Lord. And in the midst of many, I will praise him. And finished up with that and then just sat down. <laughs> Turns out my associate couldn't write very well. That was supposed to be Psalm 100, not 109. 
So, the thing is, it's just such a horrible thing. Just a, just a curse. And uh, so, but the thing is, as I was reading that, there were probably some of you who were thinking, so this is the way we're supposed to pray for this time like that. Yeah, I've got lots of people I need to pray that prayer. Over. But no, that's not it. That's not what this is about. Uh, this is not how we pray as the day of the Lord draws closer and closer. We've been looking. We saw, I think it was last week, how we're supposed to be praying in the Spirit. And we talked about how that meant above everything else, being humbly, reverently, yieldedly in His presence, listening to Him, being willing to be the potter, not the potter, but really to be the clay in the potter's hands, opening our hearts and drawing near to him, knowing that as we draw near to him, he will draw near to us. And whenever he draws near to us, we can pray and open our hearts to him. So we pray with expectant faith and godly love. On this day following the 20th anniversary of 9-11, I'd like to cover quickly two areas that I think, I think some people may struggle in knowing how to pray. And this may surprise you, uh, uh, Clara. Number one is Afghanistan. How do we pray about the things going on there? Uh, that came up last night. Clara, you do that a lot. You will bring up early just exactly what I'm going to be preaching on later on. You've done it again. I just want you to know. So, number one, Afghanistan. Number two, our country. So, first of all, Afghanistan. After the withdrawal of uh, troops from with Af- Afghanistan, Christians in Afghanistan are much more exposed to persecution. It wasn't really easy for them before, but it's harder now. In addition to that, girls and women are suffering as well as those who helped with the Western forces for the past 20 years. And we need to pray diligently for these vulnerable people at this time and ask that God will protect them from the suffering that they're, uh, uh, that's just, just looming before them at this time. We should also pray for the ministers and missionaries that have stayed there and that are still there uh, in the country. Uh, one of them uh, wrote to send an email saying many church leaders there are currently asking that we pray for the Lord to strengthen them in their faith, that they would stay strong in the Lord, who is the sovereign king. And so we do need to be praying for them. We should also be praying for those who are sick, as I've mentioned in our prayer today. COVID-19 is rampant over there. And the hospitals, uh, uh, we don't know how they're operating now that this is, this is, th- these different things have happened. Um, there is another group that we need to be praying for, and that is the Taliban themselves. We need to remember that Jesus said, you have heard it, that it was said, 
you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, but I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be the sons of your father who is in heaven. When Jesus, just think about this, when Jesus gave the command to love and pray for our enemies, he knew it would one day mean praying for our is for Islamic extremist groups like the Taliban who murder his bride, the church. Praying for the Taliban is not something that we would choose, but it is what Jesus has commanded us to do. Now, here are three specific ways that you can pray for uh, the, uh, the Taliban, for those who murder our Christian brothers and sisters. Number one, pray as we did this morning for the conversion of the Taliban. The Lord does have a heart for all the people in the Middle East. He has been, I've read account after account of he himself appearing to devout Muslims and bringing them to a place where they are trusting in him alone. He is personally confronting them and bringing them uh, into his kingdom. And if he's willing to do that, then we need to be praying that more and more people will have hearts turned toward him. We may think it's impossible that somebody's so recalcitrant, uh, but uh, we'll do that. Some of them are probably people who have strong principles and they think they're doing the right thing. They have just been misled and they are living very, very fervently out of wrong information. And the only person that will be able to open their eyes is the Holy Spirit. And without us praying, the Lord, he's, he only moves in response to prayer. And so we need to be praying for the Taliban themselves and from any other terrorist groups that they might be saved. Number two, pray the Taliban will be restrained from doing evil. Remember the, the Egyptian army was coming after uh, the children of Israel. And all of a sudden, the children of Israel on the other side of the Red Sea and uh, the uh, uh, Egyptian soldiers are bogged down. Their chariots bogged down in the middle when the water comes back in. The Lord can restrain uh, the Taliban from doing evil. So we need to be praying that. Also, we need to pray that the Taliban will receive divine justice. There are two ways that divine justice is administered. The most important way is through the cross. We've all experienced the divine justice of having our sins, no matter how horrible they have been, paid for by our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ because we were willing to receive if we're not willing to receive what he did for us on the cross, then there is the judgment of God and is a horrible thing to fall into the hands of a wrathful and a mighty God. But there comes a place where if people's hearts are hardened and they, they harden their heart against the Lord, that divine justice will come on them. Also, our, our own country. How do we pray for our own leaders? How do we pray 
for uh, people. There are some people that are very upset with who's leading our country now. And there were some people before that were very upset with who is leading our country now. And there's always going to be somebody that's upset with the people that are leading the country. No matter whether it's someone of your party or not, as we heard this morning, the Lord wants us to be praying for our leaders. And so one of the things is how do you pray for a leader that you may not even think that you know, you can just tell they don't know the Lord at all. How do you pray for someone who seems to be uh, an enemy of your country? How do you pray for leaders whenever they're those kind of leaders? Well, remember this, whenever Paul wrote this letter to Timothy, you know who the emperor of Rome was? Nero. Whenever he wrote that, Nero was ruling the Roman Empire with an iron fist. He absolutely hated Christians and he persecuted them with a vengeance. Because of Nero, countless Christians died extremely brutal deaths. And yet, it's in this historical context that Paul told Timothy to pray for kings and all who are in authority so that we can live peaceful and quiet lives marked by godliness and dignity. By telling Timothy to pray for those in authority, he was in essence echoing Jesus' command to love your enemies, to pray for those who persecute you. And if anyone had an excuse uh, not to pray for their leader, It was the Christians living under Nero. And yet Paul made it clear that they should intercede for those in authority, regardless of whether they are unjust or benevolent. Thankfully, we as Americans uh, have never experienced the tyranny of a leader quite like Nero. But let's be honest. Many of us are far more prone to point accusing fingers of blame at our leaders than we are to pray for them. As disciples of Jesus Christ, we need to guard ourselves from this and instead lift up our nation and leaders in prayer before the Lord. We need to pray for them for the sake of our country, which is at a critical crossroads. We have a society deeply infected with the disease of materialism, sensuality. Many worship celebrities instead of God. We are a country torn by bitterness and hatred. 20 years ago, just think, 20 years ago, people were flocking into places of worship My church in Marshall opened wide its doors. It was right in the center of town. It was a large congregation, large auditorium. And that is where the community gathered that first time to open up our hearts before the Lord. And we worshiped united by a common tragedy. How could we possibly have imagined that 20 years from then, We would be in the state of divisiveness and ugliness that we are today. And yet, here we are. 
Our country desperately needs to wake up and return to the Lord. And that should be a part of our prayers. In First Chronicles 7.14, you know the promise. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Not if the wicked people will turn, but if God's people will turn from their wicked ways. I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sins and restore their land. As God's people, we have to seek his face and pray for the hearts of Americans to turn towards him. And we must pray that our leaders will make godly decisions as they direct our country. We should also pray for our leaders because deep down, they need Jesus just like you do and like I do. When a leader makes a poor or even sinful decision, we can certainly disagree with them. But we should never forget that God loves them in spite of themselves. Paul probably knew this better than anyone. Just like Nero, he used to persecute and murder Christians. Still, God loved and rescued Paul. And because of this, Paul understood that since God loved him while he was still a sinner, God could also love Nero and perchance deliver him. When you pray for your leaders, remember that you're praying for people whom God desires a relationship with and also whom God has appointed and placed in that position of authority. No matter how we think they got there, we are told that it is the Lord who puts people in positions of authority. And so we need to be praying for those that the Lord has put in position as our leaders. And they, many of them need to be saved. We need to pray for their salvation. As Americans, brothers and sisters, it's time to pray. It's time to pray that our nation would return to the Lord. It's time to pray that our leaders would make wise decisions. And we also need to pray for our leaders who are already believers and for their families because they need their support as they follow the Lord's leading uh, in a time that when it's especially uh, unpopular to do so. Look what's happened to uh, Governor Abbott uh, as he has taken some godly stands. We've seen different things happen. We need to pray for our godly leaders as well. Equally as important, Time for pray that those in authority who don't already know God's love would come to experience it in their own lives. Well, these are just a few of the ways that we can pray at this time without praying, God, stop doing that. That's not what we ought to pray. We should pray in his will. And we know that he doesn't want one to perish. We know that he wants whole nations to turn to him. And we also know that he hears our prayers. One final note, this, if we just stop there, if we just skidded it on our knees and just prayed all these things, that's almost just tantamount to giving God our wish list, right? After you voice your great concerns and pray heartfelt prayers in all these different areas, there's something else you need to do. 
It's the most important thing you can do. Listen. Listen. He speaks whenever you are willing to be in his presence and then listen. The story of Jonah gives us something about that. You know, his name means dove. I've told you all this before. And uh, it was a nickname for a, uh, a student of the Bible. And uh, one of the underlying uh, messages behind it all is that if you study God's word, he's going to speak to you. And you might not like what he has to say. But it's also best to just to go ahead and do it because you'll probably wind up doing it anyway. And so uh, don't just pray. 